all you have. We would be honored if you would join us. It's a wonderful day in the universe. My Star Wars family is great. Okay, I know my singing isn't one of my strengths and I shouldn't give up my day job, but I am in such a good mood I had to let it out. So how's everyone doing today? I hope all is well in the galaxy. Nothing really new out here on the Outer Rim. Smugglers are smuggling and pirates are plundering. Same old stuff. I want to give a quick shout out to everyone that has bought us a cup of coffee on the Kofi account. It's going a long way to help Project Hope. If you missed out on that announcement, go back and listen to, I think it was either chapter 9 or chapter 10 of this book to learn all about it. It is a charity that we are helping in the fight against COVID-19. But we want to say thanks to everyone for your support. Now, I heard through the hyperspace lanes that Darth Vader himself is looking for the boy that's calling himself a Jedi. And he is the last person in the galaxy you want looking for you. I think if it was me, I would just take myself out if he was looking for me. And if the Emperor is sending Vader to find you, praise Palpatine. You have done something really bad. Like so bad that he wants you to suffer. That's why I stay out here on the Outer Rim. Out of the way of all the nonsense. But that's not what you're here for. I know that you're here. You want to learn more about Darth Bane. Because last week, Bane and Xana weren't even in the chapter. Johan Chancellor Valorum and Kale Separatist Group was what that entire chapter was about. So hopefully Bane and Xana will be in this one. So let's get to it and find out. Xana made her way slowly through Karania's market square, purchasing supplies to replace those Bane had inadvertently destroyed. Only a week had passed since she'd last been here. But in that short time, a great many things had changed. Kel was dead for one. The holonet was buzzing with the news of the failed attempt to kidnap Chancellor Valorum. And all the accounts made specific mention of the red-skinned Twi'lek and his end at the hands of a Jedi Knight named Johan Otho. Three of the others from the small group were dead as well. The reports indicated that two of the terrorists had fled the scene. From the descriptions given, it was obvious to Xana that Pak and Syndra were the two surviving fugitives. So the news on Serrano was of the red-skinned Twi'lek that Johan had killed during the attempt on Valorum. Now everyone knows Valorum is on the planet. I thought that they were trying to keep it a secret. I guess if someone tries to kidnap or kill you, the secret goes out the window. The attack had prompted immediate condemnation from the Senate and the rest of the Republic. More important, the Counts of Serrano had promised swift and decisive action to stamp out the separatist organizations that plague their fair world. Based on the enormous rewards being offered for information leading to the capture of those involved in the attack, it seemed the nobles intended to keep their promise. Okay, so let me get this right. All the Republic had to do was fake an attempt on one of the Republic politicians on a separatist planet, and that's all it would take to get them to stop being separatists? Padme would have been the best candidate in the universe for this position. Even had Kel and his friends succeeded, Xana now realized the reaction of the Counts would have been the same. In the aftermath of the violence, the bodies of several members of Count Naljul's household staff were discovered near the landing site. They had been sent to greet Chancellor Valorum on his arrival, only to be murdered by the radicals who had set the ambush. The deaths of several long-serving followers was a great tragedy for House Naljul, but it paled in comparison with the horror elicited by the attack itself. The Count had personally sponsored the Chancellor's visit, an assault upon his esteemed guest was an insult to family honor and a crime tantamount to attacking the Count himself. Always willing to protect their own, the other great houses had rallied to the Nalju cry, 
vowing to hunt down and exterminate those responsible for this atrocity. No doubt Darth Bane had foreseen this outcome. For the next several years, the eyes of the Republic would be focused intently on Sereno and its campaign to snuff out the Separatist elements that had infiltrated its culture. Yeah, that's all they would have to do. All the families in Serrano are coming together to take down the Separatists, while Xana just walks through the marketplace, knowing that Bane had planned it all out. Now the Republic will be watching Serrano like a hot. Bet you Xana feels a little dumb for questioning her master now. Don't move. A familiar female voice hissed in her ear, and Xana felt the muzzle of a blaster press itself hard into the flesh of her lower back. I'm surprised you dare to show your face in public. Xana whispered without turning around to face the chiss, standing close behind her. There's a lot of credits being offered for your head. Thanks to you, Syndra snapped back, jabbing her painfully with the weapon. Now start walking slowly. There were a dozen ways Xana could turn the tables on Syndra, but each of them involved a display of dark side power she wasn't willing to make in the crowded market square. So she did as ordered making her way past the vendor stalls as she waited for the right moment to make her move. Syndra followed close, pressing tight up against her to shield the blaster at Xana's back with her own body. Where are you taking me? Xana asked her. We're going to see Hetan. Syndra snarled. He's got some questions for you. How convenient, Xana thought. I've got some questions for him, too. Why does she say Hetan like that? We're going to see Hedden. It's almost like Hedden is the boogeyman or something. I could just see the look on Xana's face. Like, oh, I'm so scared of some man named Hedden. Sandra took her down a narrow alley leading away from the market square to a deserted side street. Stand still or I shoot. She warned Xana, then pulled a calm link from her belt. I've got her, she said. Come pick us up. In less than a minute, an airspeeder swooped down to land on the far side of the street. Xana wasn't surprised to see Puck sitting in the pilot's seat. He jumped out as the Chiss marched her prisoner over to the vehicle. Told you she'd come back, he said to his companion. Just search her for weapons, she answered. Puck leered at Xana as he roughly patted her down. What have we here? He exclaimed, discovering her only weapon and holding it up for inspection. The handle of Xana's lightsaber was slightly longer than normal. To accommodate the twin crystals, required to power the blades that extended from either end. However, while most traditional double-bladed weapons had blades each measuring a meter and a half or more, those of Xana's lightsaber were slightly under a meter in length. This small but significant difference was critical to the way in which she used her weapon. Okay, I don't know why when they found her lightsaber, they didn't shoot her right then. I would have thought she was a Jedi and she had set me up, so I would have just shot her. No questions asked. And when Hedden asked me what happened, I wouldn't even have to lie. She was a Jedi, so I shot her. The smaller blades give you greater speed and maneuverability. Her master explained as the 14-year-old Xana twirled her newly constructed lightsaber in her left hand, focusing on mastering the feel of its unique balance and weight. Grip the handle lightly in your fingers. Control the weapon with your wrist and hand, rather than the muscles of your arm. You will sacrifice reach and leverage, but you will be able to create a shield of impenetrable defense. Defense will not slay my enemy, Xana remarked, smoothly transferring the spinning crimson blades from her left hand to her right and back again. 
You lack the physical strength required for the powerful attacking strikes of the Gem Cell or the other aggressive forms, the Master explained. You must rely on quickness, cunning, and most of all, patience to best your enemies. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. He ignited his own lightsaber and took a long, looping swing in her direction. Zana intercepted the blow with her own weapon, easily deflecting it to the side. Form 3 allows you to parry incoming attacks with minimal effort, he told her. Your opponent must expend precious energy with each blow, slowly tiring while you remain fresh and strong. Bane seized the hook-handled grip of his own lightsaber with both hands and raised it high over his head, then brought it straight down in a fierce chop. Using the techniques he had made her practice for two hours each day over the past year, Xana met her master's blade with one of her own. Had she tried to meet it head-on, the strength of his attack would have driven her own weapon back into her or knocked the lightsaber from her hand. Instead, she clipped his blade with a glancing contact rerouting it so that it continued its downward arc at an angle, passing harmlessly a few centimeters from her shoulder. Oh no, here we go with this echo stuff again. It must mean we are in a flashback. And Bane is teaching her how to wear down an opponent, which is a good tactic. But when did Bane learn all the lightsaber forms? I don't remember it ever saying that he had mastered all the forms. Good, Bane said approvingly, winding up for another heavy-handed swipe. Do not block. Redirect. Wait for opponents to become weary or frustrated. Let them make a mistake. Then seize the opening and make them pay. To illustrate his point, Bane took a wild swipe that she easily picked off. The momentum of the swing caused him to lean too far forward, exposing his shoulder and back to her counterattack. With a flick of her wrist, Xana directed her own weapon toward the opening. She scored a direct hit. One of her twin blades tracing a ten-centimeter-long slash across his shoulder that would have severed the arm of any other opponent. In Bane's case, however, the blade only cut through the cloth of his shirt and left a small scorch mark on the impregnable shell of the orbalist beneath. You're dead! She exclaimed triumphantly, still twirling her blade so that it never lost momentum. Bane nodded in approval, but it was early and the day's lesson had only just begun. A gun, he commanded, in the stern taskmaster's voice he always used during their drills and practice sessions. Okay, I think Xana got a little too happy right here. I can imagine it in my head. This little skinny girl hitting this giant of a man like she did some damage or something. Bane just looks at her with disgust in his eyes. Now what would have been crazy if she accidentally cut off his head? Like I did at your dead. Master, are you okay? As his head starts rolling away, that would have been funny. What is this? A lightsaber? Puck muttered, turning the handle over in his hands. Where'd you get this? You steal it off a Jedi or something? Xana didn't bother to answer. There was nobody else in view. The three of them were alone on the deserted street. She could easily have ended their lives right there and escaped. But they had said they were taking her to Hatton. 
and she was most eager to meet the founder of the Anti-Republic Liberation Front. Hatton's going to be very interested in this, he remarked. Very, very interested. Come on, let's get moving, Sindra told him. I don't want to keep Hatton waiting. He's mad enough at us already. Park tossed the lightsaber onto the passenger seat in the front, then climbed into the pilot's chair. Get in the back, Sindra ordered Xana, waving the blaster's nose threateningly. She did as she was told, and a second later Sindra climbed in beside her, still keeping her weapon trained on Xana. The airspeeder lifted off the ground, whisking them through the city and out to the countryside beyond. So Puck asked her if she stole her lightsaber from a Jedi. She should have just killed them both right there. I could picture it now. She uses the force to snatch her lightsaber out of his hand. Their eyes go big as the red blades come out. Then they fumble for their weapons as she cuts them down. Now that would have been exciting. But she wants to meet Hedden, so that didn't happen. How long until we get there? Xana asked. Shut your criffing mouth, Sindra answered. There'll be plenty of time to talk when you explain to Hedden why you betrayed us. Kel always was a sucker for a pretty face, Fox said, glancing back at her over his shoulder. Always knew it would be the death of him. If he was smart, he would have just stuck with you, Sindra. Sindra's red eyes narrowed angrily. Shut up and drive, Puck. You and Cal? Xana said, legitimately surprised. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Neither did Sindra, Puck said with a laugh. At least, not until you showed up at our meeting. She wanted to kill you right there. Lucky for you, she's a professional. So we find out that Kel was a ladies' man. He was already with Sindra, then he hooked up with Xana. And Sindra found out when Xana and Kel showed up at the meeting. Puck is an idiot, though. He says Sindra wanted to kill Xana at the meeting, but she is a professional. A professional coward, and she couldn't love Kel that much because she left him there to die. The rest of the ride passed in silence as they made their way farther and farther from the city. Soon they passed into the country estates of the noble families, confirming Xana's suspicion that Hedden was a member of a powerful Sereno house. She wondered what would happen to him now that the political climate of Karania had turned so strongly against the separatists. The speeder continued on, passing over lavish rose gardens that stretched for acres. The irrigation provided by exquisite fountains, while armies of staff clipped and pruned to keep each individual flower in a perfect, pristine state. An enormous mansion loomed in the distance. In truth, it looked more like a castle than a home. The flag flying from one of the many turrets was a bright red, emblazoned with a single eight-pointed star of gold. Xana suspected it was derived from the five-pointed star of the Demichi Great House. Apparently, Hetton's family were distant relations of the Demichis that had earned the right to create their own variation on the family crest. When they landed, they were met by six guards clad in long red robes. Each wore a full helmet that completely covered the head and face, and they all carried four spikes. Okay, so when they arrived at Hetton, they are met by six guards wearing long red robes, helmets, and were carrying four spikes. So Hetton has a set of imperial guards. Well, I guess he had them first because this was years before Palpatine was even born. But it sounds like Palps might have got the idea from Serrano. Hell, Palpatine. The meter and a half long metal poles were equipped with stun modules at the tip, capable of discharging an electrical current to stun or incapacitate opponents, or even kill if set to a high enough power. She recognized the exotic weapon from Bane's teachings, 
It had been a favorite of the Umbaran shadow assassins, though the members of the group had gone into hiding with the fall of Khan's brotherhood. Get out, Sindra demanded, gesturing once again with her blaster. A small part of Xana pitied the Chiss. Kel had used her, then tossed her aside, while another part of her resented her blue-skinned romantic rival. But she was not about to let either emotion affect her thoughts or actions in any significant way. She did as she was told, exiting the vehicle and submitting to another search by one of the red-robed guards before passively holding her hands out before her and allowing them to slap a pair of binder cuffs on her wrists. I'm sorry, but you ain't putting no cuffs on me. Before that happened, I would have killed everyone. You know she ain't got no weapons, so why does she need cuffs on her? But anyway, another thing that they just throw in the picture was that the Embaron Shadow Assassins use force pikes too. And the guards have force pikes. Could these guys be them same assassins? Only then did Sindra finally put away her blaster, stuffing it into her belt and grabbing Xana by the arm to pull her along after Pak and the guards. The procession made its way through a high archway and into the marble-lined hall beyond. Paintings and sculptures lined the walls. Floating holographic artworks hovered near the ceiling. The display of wealth would have impressed or even intimidated most visitors, Xana suspected. She, however, saw the collection as nothing but a waste of funds that could have been better spent elsewhere. The mansion was enormous, and it took them five full minutes to pass from the airspeeder landing pad to the reception chamber where Hetton awaited them. Xana knew they were near their destination when they stopped before a pair of towering doors, closed and barring their progress. Two of the guards stepped forward, one on each door, and pushed them open. The room beyond was 30 meters long and 20 meters wide. Like the halls, the walls were lined with art, and a long red carpet led to a small staircase and a raised dais at the far end. The room was devoid of furniture except for a large chair atop the dais, though Xana thought it could more properly be described as a throne. Okay, why does this sound so familiar, like something that was described before? Oh, it is almost the same as in Revan, when they were walking to the Emperor's throne room. If you haven't listened to season two where I covered Revan, you should go check it out. Revan is a great book, one of my favorites. Sitting there, flanked by two more of the red-robed guards, was a man who could only be Hedden himself. He was small in stature and older than she'd suspected. He looked to be in his late fifties. She had expected him to be garbed in the colors of his house, but instead he wore black pants, a black shirt, black boots, and black gloves. Crimson striping trimmed the tops of his boots and the cuffs of his gloves. A hooded cape, also black with crimson trim, was draped across his shoulders, though the hood was thrown back to reveal his face. He had fine gray hair, cropped very short. He had a long pointed nose, and his pale blue eyes seemed small and too close together. There was a cruel tilt to his thin lips that made it almost appear as if he was sneering. Okay, is it just me or did they just describe Sidious? I might be tripping, but that sounds a whole lot like Sidious. But from the description, he is definitely a Sith, or he idolizes the Sith. As they entered, he leaned forward in his seat and clutched at the arms of his oversized throne. He looked hunched, sinister. Although he was not conventionally attractive or physically imposing, there was an undeniable air of importance about him. Xana suspected it was a natural confidence born of wealth and privilege. But as she was marched down the red carpet toward him, she realized it was something far more impressive. Hedden radiated with the power of the dark side.
They approached until they were ten meters from the step leading up to Hedden's seat, then stopped at a signal from one of the guards flanking the throne. Their escort stepped to the side, leaving Xana, Pak, and Sindra alone before Hedden. And who are you, my dear? Hedden asked, his words sharp and clipped as they echoed thinly off the walls of the great room. My name is Reyna, Xana answered. I am, I was, a friend of Kel's. Of course, Hedden said with a knowing smirk. Gladden had many female friends. Okay, this dude was surrounded by the dark side, but how didn't he know that Xana was a Sith? Why couldn't he feel the power of the dark side coming off of her? She's the one who betrayed us to the Republic, Sindra said angrily, shaking the still cuffed Xana by her elbow as she spoke. I didn't betray anyone, Xana protested, stalling for time as she tried to gauge Hetton's power. During the war between the Brotherhood of Darkness and the Army of Light, both sides had actively sought to recruit those with power into their ranks. But it would have been a simple enough matter for a family as obviously rich and powerful as Hedden's to shield one of their own from both the Jedi and the Sith. You knew every detail of our plan, Sentry insisted. Who else could it have been? You and Pak seem to have survived somehow, Xana remarked, letting the unspoken accusation hang in the air as she continued her subtle probing of Hedden. His power didn't have the raw, untamed feel of one who had never been trained. Was it possible he'd once had a tutor or mentor? Had someone knowledgeable in the Force taught him the ways of the dark side, then abandoned him to follow Khan? Or was there some other explanation? Xana is trying to find out the scope of his power, as Syndra was accusing her of betraying him. Then she turns the accusations back on Syndra by saying her and Puck had escaped. She knew that Hedden had had some training in the dark side, but she couldn't tell how much. I am not a traitor, the Chish shouted angrily. <laughs> Calm down, Syndra, Hedden said, sardonically amused at her outrage. Chancellor Valorum had a Jedi Knight with him. Your mission was doomed to failure from the start. And even if you had succeeded, he added his voice dropping to a low and dangerous whisper. You still would have brought the wrath of the great houses crashing down on us. What were you thinking? He demanded, with a sudden shout that made both Pak and Syndra jump. Xana could feel the air crackle as the small man called upon the force, gathering the energies of the dark side. His power was undeniable, yet as she felt it building, she was confident his abilities would be no match for hers. So after a few minutes, Xana realizes that Hedden had power, but his power was no match for hers. He was no Sith Lord, just a man that had some force ability. Hedden, wait! Pak shouted, sensing the peril they were in. We've got something for you. He held up Xana's lightsaber, waving it above his head so Hedden would be sure to see it. The effect was immediate and instantaneous. The building power of the dark side vanished as Hedden froze, his eyes riveted on the hilt. After a moment, he seemed to regain his composure and sat back down, signaling for one of his guards to bring the treasure to him. When it was placed in his hand, he studied it carefully for a full minute before setting it reverently in his lap. Where did you find this? He asked softly, though there was a dangerous undercurrent in his voice. 
On her? Pak said. She wouldn't tell us how she got it. Is that a fact? Pep muttered, suddenly staring at Xana with renewed interest, running the fingers of one hand idly over the lightsaber's handle. I would be most interested to learn how she acquired this particular specimen. Give me five minutes alone with her, Sindra said. I'll get her to talk. Xana decided that the game had gone on long enough. It would have been a simple matter to snatch the lightsaber back to her shackled hands using the Force, but she had other weapons at her disposal. Okay, I think the Hidden and the others are about to get a rude awakening. Xana just stated that she has other weapons at her disposal, and Bane is always searching for Sith artifacts and writings, so I believe that he taught Xana some stuff. The Force manifests itself in many different ways, Darth Bane told her. Every individual has strengths and weaknesses, talents they excel at, and others that are more difficult. The twelve-year-old Xana nodded. Several months before, Bane had unlocked a new data bank of information and freed on Nad's holocron. Though he wouldn't tell her what he'd uncovered, he had added a new element to her training shortly after his discovery. Every two or three days, he would put her through a series of rigorous tests and challenges designed to evaluate her command of different aspects of the Force. Until today, he had refused to discuss the results of his experiments with her, and Xana was beginning to fear she had somehow failed him. Some possess raw elemental power. They can unleash storms of lightning from their fingertips or move mountains with their mere thoughts. Others are more gifted in the subtle intricacies of the Force, blessed with the ability to affect the minds of friend and foe alike through the arts of persuasion or battle meditation. He paused and fixed her with a long stare, as if considering whether to say more. Now jumps into a flashback again. We can always tell by this echo effect they use, but it describes some of Xana's early training in the dark side. Bane was putting her through some tests to see where her talents lie. Aren't you glad that they don't do us like that in school? They just teach us until our talents come out. Wait a minute, I think Baneway is better. The faster you learn what a person is good at, the faster you can start teaching them that. A rare few have a natural affinity for the dark side itself. They can delve into the depths of the Force and summon arcane energies to twist and warp the world around them. They can invoke the ancient rituals of the Sith. They can conjure power and unleash terrible spells and dark magics. Is that my gift? Xana asked, barely able to contain her excitement. Am I a Sith sorcerer? You have the potential, Bane told her. From inside his robes, he produced a thin, leather-bound manuscript. Hidden deep inside the holocron, I discovered a list of powerful spells. I transcribed them into this tome. They will help you focus and channel your power for maximum effect. But only if you study them carefully. I will, Master, Xana promised, her eyes gleaming as she reached out to take the book from his hand. My ability to guide and teach you in the ways of sorcery are limited, Bane warned her. My talents lie in another direction. To unleash your full potential, you will have to do much of the study and research on your own. It will be perilous. Wow, so Bane hands her a book of spells. Then he tells her that she has to learn them on her own. 
That's like a teacher handing you a book of algebra then saying, here you go, you're on your own. Plus, what will keep her from using the spells on him? It's like he just put his head down and said, cut right here. The thought of exploring the dark and dangerous secrets of Sith sorcery alone filled her with dread. But the chance to achieve a power beyond the abilities of a master to comprehend was a temptation she could not resist. I will not disappoint you, master. She vowed, clutching the tome tightly against her chest. And if you ever try to use one of your spells against me, Bane added as a final caution, I will destroy you. Zana shook her elbow free of Sindra's grasp and raised her shackled hands before her face. Weaving her fingers in a complex pattern in the air, she reached out with the force and plunged deep inside the Chiss woman's mind to find her secret most primal fears. Buried in a subconscious were nameless horrors, abominations and creatures of nightmare never meant to see the light of day. Drawing on the power of Sith sorcery, Zana plucked them out and brought them to life one by one. The entire process took less than a second. In that time, Syndra had drawn her weapon, but instead of pointing it at Zana, she suddenly screamed and aimed it high in the air above her, firing wildly at demons conjured from her own mind that only she could see. The illusions grew more real and more terrifying the longer the spell continued. But Zana had no intention of ending it yet. The Chiss shrieked and threw her weapon to the ground. She flung her head wildly from side to side, covering it with her arms and screaming no over and over before collapsing on the floor. Weeping and sobbing, she curled up into a tight little ball, still muttering no, no, no. Everyone else in the room was staring at her in horror and bewilderment. Some of the guards took a step back, afraid they might somehow become infected by her madness. Xana could have ended it then dispelling the illusion and allowing Syndra to fall into unconsciousness. She would wake hours later with only the most basic recollections of what had happened, her mind instinctively recoiling from the memories of what it had witnessed. Or Xana could push the illusion even farther, driving her victim to the edge of insanity and beyond. Now that is adult power. To use the dark side to bring somebody's worst nightmare to life right in front of their eyes, I would have so much fun with this. I would torment everyone that ever messed with me. Just think if you got pulled over and you use this on the police. That would be so cool. No, wait a minute. He might just pull out his gun and start shooting in all directions. One of the bullets might hit me. Okay, that's not the best idea. But it would be fun to do to other people. An image of the Chiss romantically entangled with Cal sprang unbidden to her mind. And Xana pushed. Sindra's cries of terror became animal howls as her sanity was ripped apart by the ghastly visions. Her hands scratched and clawed at her own eyes, tearing them out. Blood poured down her cheeks, but even blindness couldn't save her from the nightmares crawling through what was left of her mind. Her howls stopped as her body went into seizure, her mouth foamed as her limbs convulsed wildly on the floor. Then, with a final blood-curdling shriek, she fell suddenly limp and lay still, her conscious mind completely and irrevocably obliterated. Her catatonic body was now nothing more than an empty shell. The body shivered once, and Xana knew that somewhere in the deepest core of Syndra's subconscious, a small part of her still existed, silently screaming, trapped forever with the horrors inside her own mind. Though everyone had borne witness to the Chiss's gruesome and terrifying end, Xana was the only one who knew what had really happened. 
yet even she was never quite certain just what her victim saw. Based on their reactions, she figured it was probably better not to know. She coolly regarded Sindra's body on the floor, still trembling occasionally, then glanced up to see Hatton staring at her intently. She turned away when she heard Pak shouting at her from across the room. You did this! He pointed an accusing finger at her. Stop her or she'll tell us all! He cried. Several of the guards took a step toward her, only to pull up at a slight shake of the head from Hetton. She's not dead, Zana announced. But whatever's left of her mind surely begs for death. Xana is pure evil. She definitely deserves to be the next master of the Sith. And that was one heck of a description. Cinder clawed her own eyes out. You know how bad that had to hurt? Oh my God, that would be so painful. Then the messed up thing is Xana didn't even stop. She drove the poor Chiss girl mad, pushing her to the point of a catatonic mush. That's so messed up. The answer did nothing to calm Pox mounting hysteria. Reaching into his boot, he pulled out a short vibroblade and rushed at Xana with a scream. The spell she had unleashed on Syndra was powerful but exhausting. Xana doubted she'd be able to affect a similar reaction in Pak before he ran her through with his blade. So instead of sorcery, she turned to more conventional means to dispatch him. Extending her shackled hand, she used the force to draw the lightsaber from Hedden's lap, sending it flying across the room and into her waiting palm. As the blades ignited, she casually snapped her restraints with a single thought. Pock had come in expecting to skewer a helpless prisoner. He wasn't ready to face an armed foe. She could have slain him right then and there, but she noticed that Hetton was still sitting passively in a seat, observing the action. Xana decided she'd give him a show. Instead of decapitating her overmatched opponent, she simply toyed with him twirling and spinning the lightsaber through intricate hypnotic patterns as she easily parried his ham-fisted blows. Pak was a brawler, all muscle and no technique, making it ridiculously simple for her to repulse his attacks. He came at her three times, hacking and slashing as he tried to bowl her over. Each time, she would nimbly skip to one side and redirect his blade with her own, turning their combat into a dance, where she was most definitely taking the lead. After three failed passes, the tattooed man threw his blade down in frustration and scooped up Syndra's fallen blaster. He took aim and fired twice from point-blank range, but Xana didn't even flinch. Using the precognitive awareness of the Force, she was easily able to anticipate the incoming shots and intercept them with the crackling crimson blades of her lightsaber. The first bolt ricocheted harmlessly up into the ceiling. The second she sent back at Park. It struck him square between the eyes, leaving a smoking hole in his forehead. His body went rigid, then toppled over backward. Still twirling her weapon, Xana turned to face Hedden again. He had not moved from his throne, nor had he made any signal to his guards. As she stared at him, he rose slowly to his feet and walked down the stairs of the dais until he was standing only a few meters in front of her. Then he dropped to his knees before her and bowed his head. In a trembling voice, he whispered, I have been waiting for someone like you my entire life. So Puck tries to attack Xana first with a blade. When Xana uses the force to call her saber to her hand, she played with him like a cat playing with a mouse. 
so he gets frustrated and grabs Sindra's blaster. He shoots twice and she redirects one of the blasts right between his eyes, killing him instantly. But what is crazy is Hedden didn't even budge or send his guards to fight. He just sat there watching. Then he gets up, walks down, and drops to his knees. He tells her that he has been waiting for her. And that's where the chapter comes to an end. I like this chapter. It told us a little more about Xana's power and what Bane had taught his young apprentice. And I like that there was some action. But the details that they used to describe what Xana did to Syndra was very graphic. I liked it a lot. Okay, okay, now let's get to the quote for this week. And it comes to us from Ralph Ellison. He said, it takes deep commitment to change and even deeper commitment to grow. If you are unwilling to change, then you are unwilling to grow. Think about it like this. If you plant a rose seed and the seed doesn't grow, you will never see the beauty of the rose. People are the same. If you are unwilling to change, then your potential will never grow. You will stay stuck right where you are at, never change. So your situation will never change. You will be stuck right at that moment. Someone told me once that the world doesn't care if I stop moving because it's going to keep spinning no matter what. That changed my life and caused me to get off my butt and start working hard no matter what. That is the reason my life is where it's at, a place where I'm happy. You can reach that place too, as long as you don't stop growing. Okay, that's it for today. Join us next week as we get to the mid-season giveaway. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.